should be, there we go. It's a little loud. Could you turn that down, Eric? Thank you. You are Johnny on the spot or Eric on the spot. By the way, I know why your mic stand started failing you. And that is because the bottom screw was loose. And so every time you would pull, it would come up and then it would just drop right back down. Notice I didn't tell you actually why that was happening until just right then. Also, I left my clicker. Pardon me. Thank you. So we're going to be um, talking about joy today because it's the third Sunday of Advent. And, and different traditions do different kind of emphasis, emphasize whatever the plural of emphasis is. Emphasize? Emphases? Emphases. There we go. On different weeks. Um, these things are supposed to be aids to memory. That's a wonderful thing, okay? As a community, we are supposed to be a community of memory. And our goal is to remember well. And we, we remember well where it's not just a head knowledge, but it flows into our life and our neighbors begin to benefit from our faith. Uh, that's what it means to remember well. Uh, when uh, the, the new system that Walter Brueggemann just was talking about begins to happen a little bit in our lives, knowing that it won't be finalized in us, but that that hope that we have begins to, to happen. So we do these things to remember, but the thing that can happen is we, we, we take them from memory to uh, we, we sanctify them to where it becomes, oh, it has to be this way. Advent wreath is a relatively new thing in the history of, of Christianity. When it's helpful, that's great. <laughs> when it's not helpful, then you just forget about it, okay? It's really okay. But for us, what we typically do is we focus on hope the first week, we focus on faith the next week, and then we focus on joy the third week. And all of these relate to one another. There's a great deal of similarity that happens between them because, well, we can't take Christianity and then divide it into pieces. It all just, it's like, like a stew. <laughs> it gets better because of all the components getting together and just kind of merging in this wonderful thing where you still have the carrot that tastes carroty, but now it tastes carroty with the other stuff in it, with the onion and, and, and the meat and all the other wonderful stuff. So let's read from Scripture. This is what the Word of the Lord says. This is from Isaiah 12, verses 2 through 6. It says the following, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord Himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his Lord, make him, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Now, most of you, and other than Clancy's mom, because Clancy's mom just met me today, and actually we've barely met. I just waved and I was actually doing some stuff at that time. Hi, Clancy's mom. How are you? I, I made a joke about your son. You know, like I, I feel bad for all the stuff he's put you through. And then you, you responded great with, I, you know, it, it's too long a story to tell. Um, I, actually, those weren't your exact words, but that was kind of the, the meaning. Um, so you don't know this, but everybody else in the room knows, though they may not remember, that I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. So in my opinion, it's, it's Jesus. His word is true. And, and when we don't understand it, that's us not understanding it. It's not him not being true. And then there's kind of like C.S. Lewis here, and he's not 
without fault, but he's really close. And so anytime I can bring C.S. Lewis in, I'm happy. And there's this wonderful little five-page meditation that he writes. It's called a meditation from a tool shed. Or the tool shed meditation is the way you will see it sometimes. And it's really, it's like a, a short thought. And it comes down to something that you have probably experienced before. He was walking during a bright day. And he went into one of his tool sheds uh, on the kilns, which was the house that he lived in uh, in England. And when he went into the tool shed, the door shut behind him. You ever stepped into a shed where, or, or a room where it was just really, really dark, but somehow one beam made it through? In this case, there was a small hole in the, the, the roof, and the light came flooding through the ceiling. And what C.S. Lewis began to say was, for the first time, he realized he was, was seeing light rather than seeing other things through the light. Because if you think about it, like right now, we see each other because of light reflecting off of our bodies. I mean, I guess you could say we actually don't see each other. We see the light that's reflecting off one another. Uh, but Lewis saw the light. Now you could say, well, what he saw was the light reflecting off the dust in the air, and that's true, but that doesn't work for this point. So we're just going to focus on the fact that he saw the light. The shed was too dark around him, so he didn't see the tools that were hanging there. He just saw that one beam of light. If you have a pet, you've seen this before, okay? Uh, if you have an indoor pet, there's a really good chance that your dog or cat or bunny, because I know we have a tapestry bunny, uh, every now and then we'll find that one beam of light that comes in. At my, my house, we refer to this as having a dead basset hound because what happens quite often is the basset hound, Clive, will go and find that, that beam of light that comes in from the window and then just lay down and will not move for any reason whatsoever. And Lewis was just enjoying thinking about the light. And he decided to go over and see where the hole was, and he came up underneath the light. When he came up underneath the light, he was no longer looking at the light, but he was looking uh, along the light. And what he began to see then was not the light, but an entire other world out there with trees and 90 million miles away. He could see the sun. Hopefully he didn't look at it too long because it would have hurt his vision. But he saw this other world that was breaking into the shed. The shed was dark, the shed was secluded, but where the light had come, another world was breaking in. I love it as an illustration of what I believe joy is, because today we focus on joy. And, and joy is this just really complicated word for us to define, because so often, well, we think of joy with terms of, of like happiness and exuberance. For some reason, I always think of it as jumping, you jump for joy, and and we think of it with this emotional element. And that makes sense. I mean, there are things that we should be joyous about that have an emotional element too. I mean, we just sang joy to the world. So joyful, joyful, we adore thee. It's another version. You think of that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. It's like joyful, joyful, 
We adore. I mean, I was watching Die Hard last night with, with uh, my youngest son. And when, when Ode to Joy comes on, you're not thinking, wow, this is a really sad moment in, in the movie. Even though Ode to Joy really comes on when they finally get the bearer bonds and they're stealing the money, which should not be a joyous occasion. But for the thieves, it's happy. And we so often associate joy with this mindset of happiness and exuberance but that's not what it is in Scripture. Happiness may run parallel to joy sometimes, but joy is not happiness. There's so many verses of Scripture that say things like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy. I don't know about you, but when my faith is tested... I don't have happiness and exuberance. I'm not jumping for joy for that. I'm not like, woohoo, I'm getting tested. One of my favorite ones to think about is uh, I used to have a preacher that I worked for who said you should never pray for patience because God loves to answer your prayers. And the whole way that he answers your prayers and patience is he gives you a reason that you need to be patient. When I have to be patient about something, I'm not like, woohoo, yay. I'm going to be late because this person in front of me is driving 15 miles an hour when it's a 55 mile an hour zone. But scripture says to consider it pure joy. And this is not a one-time thing, okay? You should not take one verse of scripture and then try to make a central part of your faith about that, okay? It happens. People take one verse of scripture and then make it into something really, really important rather than going, all right, we need to consider that through the rest of scripture. But when something is said over and over and over again, you go, well, that's kind of important. And this is said over and over again. In all, this, you, uh, in, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Rejoice is this mindset of is a feeling of joy. To rejoice is to experience joy. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Uh, Peter is there telling people that he is excited for them because they rejoiced in the midst of their trials. But that's not the way the world wants to operate. The world doesn't want to operate by finding joy in the midst of pain. The world doesn't want to operate by seeing another world invade this world. When, when I try to think of what joy means, I, I, I come back to Advent on, on so many things. Because we take this and we turn it into a, a familial scene, a bucolic scene. We, we take it and sentimentalize it. But we all know when we really think about this, this is not a happy scene. But it's a joyous scene. It's not happy when a 14-year-old has, has a child and there's no place in the inn for them. It's not happy when a child has to have as its crib a manger. It is not happy when the ruler that be is about to look to try and kill this child. That is not happy. But it is joyous. I think back to the scene of, of uh, Lewis looking up and seeing the other world invading. And for me, that, that helps me to understand joy with meaning. We look for meaning in so many things. 
where we try to make something meaningful in and of itself. Matter of fact, we have focused on Advent conspiracy in the past, and I've talked about it a couple of times here. Advent conspiracy is this uh, group of people who said we want to, to turn Advent into something that it was always meant to be that it was beforehand, where it was not about being hectic, where it was not about going into debt, where it was about preparing for the coming of the Lord. But think of the opposite of that. Think of how many times we take all of these things in our lives and we turn them into altars of meaning and they can never suffice. They can never live up to that. Think of how often someone's desk in their business has become their religious altar of meaning. Think of how often we have taken the cashier lane where we are and we have turned that into some type of altar of meaning where we say, if I buy the right gift, if I do the right thing, if I produce the right product, suddenly everything will be okay And it's not. And yet Advent is joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord has come. It doesn't mean that all of of the events that happen are, are fine then. It doesn't. What it means is we have this element of it is well with my soul. It is uh, this element of all will be well. And it is not because of our circumstances. It's because God is with us in those circumstances. And yes, there is an element of celebration that happens with that. If you had a recipe, uh, there'd be a little bit of hope and there'd be a little bit of faith and a little bit of celebration that ends up producing joy because it's this feeling of all will be well. In the midst of, of tragedy, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of horror, all will be well. If you remember a while back, I talked about Teresa of Aville, who, who that was her prayer so often, all will be well. And it's a joyous prayer because it's ultimately about trust in God. And that trust requires that we remember to bring it back to Lewis. <laughs> Lewis says the following, he says, All joy reminds, it is never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. When, joy, when Lewis talks about this, he talks about joy is the byproduct. When we try to achieve joy on its own, we never get it. That's why, well, if you think about it, the best parts of Christmas, well, the best parts of Christmas are not Christmas Day, it's Christmas Eve. Well, maybe a little bit of Christmas Day, (laughs) the very beginning. But Christmas Eve is that anticipation, that buildup. Think of the joy you've had of preparing for Christmas. But for so many people, Christmas Day is this letdown because after you open the gifts and you've had the meal with the family, it's like, what's up now? That didn't satisfy me. Joy is always this longing for something. And the only thing that we can ever receive and never receive at the exact same moment is the eternal, infinite God who gives himself to us. And in the process of giving himself to us, we will never be able to receive him fully. There's always more. 
He's Christmas Eve that never ends. He's Christmas Day in the early morning when, the, uh, when your kids or your nephews or your dog or your cat is opening the gifts. I'd like to see the cat open a gift. That would be interesting. But when they're opening the gifts and you're excited about that and it never ends. That's the meaning that I think is found in joy. I want to use an example of somebody you haven't met yet. Two people, many of you have met. One you haven't. Actually, they're not people, they're animals. So this is Hanks the cat that many of you have met. I'm not a cat person. He's my second favorite cat that, I've ever, ever, that we've ever had in the family. The first one was a cat named Keebler, who I'm still to this day pretty well convinced was really a dog who just somehow or another came out as a cat because he, I mean, he'd fetch. He was awesome, okay? Hanks is a close second. He's pretty awesome. This is Clive the Basset Hound, greatest dog on the face of the planet. Um, the most chill Basset as we refer to him. This is his, his nephew dog. <laughs> so this is Hobbs. Now, most, most of you know Noah, Pam and I are the youngest child. He's back. And the only reason you don't see him right now is because, well, Hobbs, Noah got him six weeks ago from the pound. And he's got a little bit of anxiety. He doesn't like being away from Noah right now. And I can't say I blame him. Okay, one, Noah's a pretty fascinating guy. But two, um, well, he's been in a pound. He's probably been used to being left and, and no one picking him up again. And so there always seems to be this small fear of, well, my master's gone. He's never coming back. And not the just general dog thing like, oh my gosh, you've been gone forever. But like, He's very anxious. And so Noah's not actually here today because we're trying to work on, on that anxiety and, um, and make sure that if we leave him in the house, he doesn't destroy the house. If you've ever had a dog that has separation anxiety, you know some bad things can happen. See, Hobbes, well, I don't want to put feelings in a dog. I don't know that he, he, he loves anything, but what I know is he responds really well to being with, with all of us, and specifically being with, with Noah. He feels comfortable there. But when Noah steps away, that anxiety begins to happen. What if I'm left here? What if I don't have a home anymore? Now, I'm, thinking, I'm anthropomorphizing him, but the anxiety's there. He's freaked out. We probably can relate to that. What if things go downhill from this? But the cure for this, for, for Hobbes, is for him to eventually reach a point where he knows Noah is always coming back for me. It doesn't matter how long he's gone, Noah is always coming back for me. He can leave for a little while and he will be coming back for me. He can uh, go for a, a few days and he will come back for me. And when he begins to if he experience that enough to be reminded of that, he may still have anxious thoughts, but he will not have anxiety. And there's a difference. We all have anxious thoughts every now and then. Anxiety is when it begins to destroy our lives. Having anxious thoughts is not a bad thing. Okay? If I see somebody driving weirdly and badly in the snow, I'm going to be anxious around them. But if I see somebody driving weirdly and badly in the snow and it makes it to the point that I can never, ever drive in the snow again, 
that's destructive to my life. I believe joy is this mindset of of Christmas, the incarnation of Christ invading our life to where suddenly it gives meaning to everything else. Where we see His world invading into our friendships. We see His world invading into our families. We see His world invading into our meals, into our neighborhoods. And we begin to see it the way He sees it. Made up of people that are created in His image that He loves desperately. And you and I are some of those people that He loves desperately. It brings joy to when there's a person who is is our enemy. And, and the, real, the Christian thing to do is to go, I don't have any enemies. But the Jesus thing is, Jesus recognized there were enemies. And he told us to pray for those, our enemies, to love our enemies. And I think we're able to do that when we have this joyous mindset of a kingdom invading this world where we see its light hit everything around us and it begins to shape us the way, uh, or shape the way we live. That's why Paul says in Romans, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a passive thing. We are receiving from God and He fills us with joy. And then we begin to experience peace and trust in Him. See, Advent can be turned into this nice little sentimental thing. But all the reminders of the Christian church are supposed to be that Advent is about the fact that God has come to be with us. Joy comes from knowing that He's always on our side. Even when He tells us that we have sinned and we have fallen short, He is on our side. He's calling us to live in that other world. It gives us true meaning. So before I end, does anybody have anything to add? Sorry, I was just looking down because I've got the YouTube feed running right here on my phone. In case anybody wants to say anything, Tegan's really happy about Hobbes. (laughs) Not really a comment. She just posted, Hobbes! (laughs) Okay. Guys, I know that some of this can get a little esoteric. Joy is one of those concepts that can get a little, like, ambiguous. Happy, we get. But the reality is, you've probably had somebody tell you to be happy when you were not happy. And you probably had somebody tell you to be happy when you couldn't be happy at that moment. And happiness doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the circumstances you're in. It doesn't suddenly make them better. It's just you trying to manipulate your feelings. Joy is different than that. Joy is saying in our best moments, God is here with me. And in our worst moments, God is here with me. That's why Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because God is there with him. Yeah, Clance, I saw you. Answer. Is joy understanding or an invitation? Is joy understanding or 
Yes. I love that. That's a, good, that's a really good question that I'm going to treat as a statement. Joy is an understanding and an invitation. It's something we are commanded to do. And how are you commanded to do that? By going, all right, there's a hole in the roof here somewhere where there's the, world, uh, the other world is coming in, and I need to, to, to pray for God to help me to see that and to look into it, to give me the courage to look into it in the midst of it. So it's an understanding that there is another world breaking in, and it's a command to look for, and more appropriately, to, to say, God, show me where that other world is breaking in, to believe it. So it is an understanding and an invitation at the exact same time, in my opinion. Anybody else? I'm going to look back again. Holy stinking moly. <laughs> okay, so Tegan now says he's a good boy. Tegan, you don't even know him yet. <laughs> He is a good All the comments on YouTube are now about Hobbes. <laughs> Guys, I invite you to know the joy of the Lord. When you think that's happiness, I invite you to hear the voice of God say, No, it's not. It's the fact that I am with you. Emmanuel is one of the greatest promises of our faith that God is with us in the good moments in the terrible moments, and in the middle moments. And we just need to, to recognize that. We need to pray for God to help us to recognize that. I think the doxology is actually a great way to pray for that. So I try to give you something to do each week. I'm going to invite you this week. I would say pray the bejuzies. What I don't even know what that word means, but I just like it. Pray the bejuzies out of the doxology. We sing it, but it really is a prayer. And the reason I say that is because, yes, it's saying praise. Whoops. It's saying praise. But did you notice in the scriptures, all the scriptures that were read today, we're talking about praising God because he was there. Isaiah, Zephaniah, Philippians, rejoice. It's saying God has done this stuff. Now live in that joy. And it doesn't mean you'll be happy it means you recognize that another world is not only possible, but it's already invading in here because of what happened on that early Christmas morning. So we praise. We recognize that He's all around us. We recognize that He, he is above and below. So we praise. So would you join me in our closing prayer, please? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May you experience God's joy. May you experience His meaning. All the other things in this world that claim to have meaning that you know that the second you buy them or you do them, suddenly you feel defeated. Ask Him to push them away and know that He is enough, He is for you, and He is with you. 
and let that bring you joy. Have a great week. Have a great week. Everybody stay safe, please. And have joy. And yes, Hobbs is a great guy. I know you guys are commenting still. Holy stinking moly. Bye. I know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>